0: Coming to you live from the Cross Country Mortgage Campus in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura.
1: All right, let's do it live on a Victory Monday presented by Tito's Handmade Vodka. We will get to our game and... uh the jubilation that comes with that uh but but obviously off the top it is the uh the topic uh, in in the world at large and the the sports world absolutely in the nfl world acutely uh what we saw last night in the cincinnati game uh, i was watching with my wife and my son and the three of us were all texting on a text chain as well um and i'm sitting there with my son and he says to me dad did he die and i said i don't know uh i don't I don't know. Um, And as we were texting back and forth trying to ascertain information, um, obviously there is no NFL precedent for that, for for what we witnessed last night. You knew pretty quickly that it was dire, didn't take long. That first commercial break was real – the second commercial break was really long, and it was a different tone coming back, and you knew that it was serious. And when you started to see the the images of the players' faces, Z, and you saw – the tears streaming and eyes welled with tears it hit you differently and you did sit there wondering for a waiting for a long time and as the three of us were all texting and we all have different contacts throughout the league and trying to figure out what was happening on the ground um, it was as terrifying a moment as you'll ever see in sport is what we witnessed last night
2: I mean, I have like chills yeah. right now just thinking about it. And uh, last night, Miss Kay and I were watching uh, 1923 with Harrison Ford, which yeah. is actually I would recommend. Okay. Um, and so we had the game on a second TV. Okay. And I was paying attention. I saw the play, saw T. Higgins get the catch, saw the tackle. I did not see him fall down because uh-huh. I don't think that was on the camera at, at the, in the, it was in the, the live replay. shot. It was only in the replay. Yeah. So, but what I saw was a, a player down and it felt like panic yeah and it wasn't oh he has a concussion and he fell panic it felt like real panic and then to your point you're sitting there what's going on and i was texting with a bunch of different people um and and then you know somebody brought up like what if he's dead yeah and i was like not I knew it was already in my mind but mm-hmm. I didn't want to let myself you know think that and it was obvious as you mentioned you see the players reactions what was going on Um the first thing I was like looking at was I was trying to find Jordan Poyer because initially you couldn't tell who was down sure and uh, once I saw Poyer's jersey I said okay it's not Jordan and and you know except he had played here and we have a relationship and and then you saw everything obviously that transpired after that and, and I had I have a good friend who I've mentioned many times on the show, P. Disease, who's the head of pediatric cardiology at uh, the clinic and a tremendous beer pong player, which are two separate amazing things that he's able to do. Um, and, and he kind of he knew like right away. Yeah, he was like, I think it's that comocarditis. if I am it, mis- but that it was a blunt trauma, acute heart failure. Uh, and that was the first time I was like, I didn't even realize that my I, that didn't occur to me. I didn't know what it was. I knew it was bad. I didn't know if you like
1: eh. Well we're so used to concussion, right? Yeah. We're so used to spinal concussion. Like we've become numb to that yeah. over the years. I mean, there's that's been around a long time.
2: Because you're not thinking about their if they're dying. You're no. thinking about okay,
1: like well they're gonna be paralyzed or whatever sure, which that could, type of stuff. Which yeah, is
2: awful and yes. it feels like it's been a long time since something It has been. Like that has happened, knock on wood. And obviously, right now, all we're thinking about is damar Hamlin. and and to your point, you know, texting with a bunch of people and going through it and and I, I don't know, and Gibe said this, it was funny because I don't know if Kayla and I said more than two words to each other over the next like two and a half hours because I was just glued to the TV and glued to Twitter, just hoping yeah. for an update where they just said he's okay. and and you and I talked about it before I came in here. It was just so hard that they never would say to you like, he is alive. He's alive. He's not breathing on his own. He has a pul- but he has a pulse. They were able to get his heart restored. There was no information at all None. for a very long time. That it made it even I think scarier. And I got to tell you, I thought Booger McFarland was incredible last night. I thought mm-hmm. Lisa Salter's, Buck Aikman were incredible. And then after Van Pelt and, and Ryan Clark was, it was unbelievable. Well, and but
1: I forgot that he had been through similar.
2: Right. And when he was rushed to the hospital, yeah. it was was his pancreas? And his spleen?
1: Yeah, I can't Something. remember. Yeah,
2: internal organs, yes. Yeah. And he handled it. I mean, they everybody in the face of an unbelievably difficult job. The one thing that gave me comfort is, you know, talk listening to uh some of the former team doctors. They said if if you were to have a heart attack like that, the two places you would want to be are in a hospital yeah. or on an NFL field because of everything that was there and the immediate care. And so obviously Hugely grateful for the work that was done by the people there, but still, we all we know right now, even as we come on the air, right, unless there's been something I missed, no, and I I'd love to have missed something, last hour. but that he's in remains in critical condition at the hospital, and, and you just your heart goes out to him. The fact that his, his mom was in the stands, and they got I had to get
1: her down there. So... Uh, the, the point you just made about if something like this were to happen, the, the, be, the best place for something like this to happen is the hospital. The second best is an NFL game. Uh, you think about how many times an NFL emergency crew, whether it's at our stadium or any stadium, practices for a drill like this and never enacts it. Never does it. But you have to have it for this one in a million shot where this happened. And to be that efficient – that they were able to do it, to be that organized is a testament to the organization. Uh, testament to everybody in Cincinnati for how quickly they were able to mobilize and get this sorted out, uh, to the best of ability to your point though, we're still not out of the woods. We don't have a, a more recent update than the ones uh, where I've seen his family say, continue to prayer, pray for him. And the one from last night with the bills that was at one in the morning where they said Demar Hamlin, suffered cardiac arrest following a hit in the game versus the Bengals. His heartbeat was restored on the field. He was transferred to the university of Cincinnati medical center for further testing and treatment currently sedated and listed in critical condition. And that's continues to be where we are today. Um, but the the really the chance that he has, the, the fact that he's al- alive is in much a testament to how quick yes. where it happened and how quickly they mobilized to save his life. Um, and and all of that happening, playing out in real time. Um, I, I think you hit on the, the broadcasters. I, I think that they were just superior in it across all things and I've had to do live television in nothing that tragic but in whether it's weather emergencies when I was in local television or um, various things and and television is a little different than radio and that your face is on and uh, in radio you can have a little bit of dead air and it in television it feels like you have to constantly talk a little bit it, it does feel like and To be able to be on a high wire without a net for as long as all of those people were without information. And I think if there's a couple of things that you look back on, you go, boy, that took a long time to say he is alive. I mean, he has a pulse. And that's what was so scary. It was minutes were stacking. And then five minutes and tens and 15. It was a half hour before. I think it was 9.30. 28 ish or something like that when they finally got him in an ambulance and it really wasn't until, and I want to say it was might've been Joe Daneman of Fox down in Cincinnati. One of the people, he had a lot of good information. Um, I've known Joe a long time. Um, his uh, the the one where it says they, they were able to security was get his mother to the ambulance. I was like, okay, well then it must be good enough that we don't have to go that fast, that we could take the time to get the mom to the ambulance. Like that gave me some comfort hey. to think, okay, this isn't so dire that if he's out of hospital in a minute and a half, He's 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 got a chance so that it felt like they at least somewhat stabilized him then to allow for that. But the fact that that was not p- pushed along, that was all Twitter is where we were getting that information. Yes, it was not pushed along in the broadcast. I understand the broadcast standpoint. You have producers um, who are in those guys' ear saying you can't and they all have their phones. So they're reading the same safe. We're at, we're reading and there's stuff that obviously their bosses said you got to stay away from probably any conjecture. because We just to, don't know because we don't know. Uh, because it was could, a tricky spot to not have more. If I, if you didn't have the comfort of social media, uh, you would have spent the better part of an hour thinking, "Is he alive?"
2: Yeah, and and honestly, because when it, the information came out about his mom joining him, them waiting to get the mom in there, and that was not accompanied by anything positive, that made me think.
1: Oh like the, oh, that's true. I guess I didn't think they that way. want her
2: to take like her final I, I didn't know, yeah. and thank goodness at least as of now that is that is not the case, but the whole thing was just and i i, I get it, it was terrifying, and it was it was weird because, like I said, we were watching out of the corner of our eye, and I was like something happened, I need to rewind it. I watched it, and then I was'cause I was looking for his head, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. I'm like i didn't I didn't see that, and then you saw the whole scene and just the reactions and your this is. I you never go, you go to an NFL game as a I'm not I never done it as a player but I'll say as as somebody as a member of the organization or as a fan and I would imagine for the players at least in you know we players that we have talked to you go to the game and you understand that you could see a catastrophic injury sure but you never go to the game and think that you could see somebody die no no, and no. and for a while last night, that's what we were faced with, and I'm glad that you know Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor did a great job and said, you know, look, we're not playing, we're not playing this game, and we can we can get into that later, but that they it was acted on, hopefully gave him the best chance to survive, um, and you know, hopefully they were able to get it going and get oxygen to his brain as quickly as possible. That's what you're you're mm-hmm. hoping for, but we've had a, a gentleman in this studio who suffered the, the same game. thing, Jerry the King Lawler, from elbow drops on his chest, and it just was the one in a million. We're old enough to remember, I don't know if it happened in Montana, but that thing that happened when we were in high school where people were punching each other in the chests. Oh, yeah. And it yeah. killed a bunch of kids around the country, and so yep. you had to have like a mass talking to of don't do this because of that situation. It's just a, a one in a a billion type of a thing. Um, it and, happened
1: in hockey. Um not long ago. Rich Pronger Peverly and well, Pronger, right? Pronger too. Rich Peverly with the Blue Jack- was playing the Blue Jackets um, for the Stars and had cardiac arrest on the bench, um, and was same thing. Heart stopped and was given CPR behind the bench, and it was in the middle of the game. And they had the sense to, you know, shut it down. That's it.
2: Pronger um, got hit by a puck that, in right. the chest. That, that's right. That did it. Which is more? Akin. more it's just crazy. It's yeah. just terrifying.
1: So the and i don't know how this i a lot of people did a lot of good and i think some people probably didn't and the fact that and and i think it's without dispute they were told you got five minutes get loose and we're going to play because not only did joe buck and troy aikman say that they don't make that up that is that's told from somebody that this is what the plan is we're going to wait five minutes and we're going to play get loose you actually saw sean mcdermott and stefan Diggs like trying to rally like okay let's go let's get loose and Josh Allen is they cut to Josh Allen he's sitting there tears full of tear eyes full of tears and you're going what like if Zach Taylor doesn't walk across the field and say we're done are, would they have done that were they really going to try to play a football game my god I, I, I don't think god Zach Taylor did it like and,
2: and McDermott you well then clear, he was like yeah, yeah, yeah what are we doing what are we doing like
1: but in the moment and it's when you're in crisis like that, and I don't know if you've been in crisis like that, like true, chaotic life so, or death crisis, I have. And when you're in that spot, things are happening so fast, and you feel so out of control yep. that if somebody tells you to do something, you almost are just like, "Yeah, I yep. guess let's do that." Like that's if there, someone gives you guidance, you're, you're in just, shock. You're in shock. You don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, and you'll someone tells you to do something. So I can see McDermott being like. Okay, five minutes, we're going to go. Let's go. You go here, get warmed up, get loose. And it was almost like as they went to the opposite sidelines, it felt like Taylor realized it first and was like, no, I don't think we will. I I think we'll shut this down, and we're going to go into the locker room. And then it was almost like when Taylor got over to McDermott, he was like, Yeah. Yeah. What are we doing? I I don't think we are going to do this. No. And let's go sort this out and get into the locker room. Um, So thank
2: goodness they did. I mean, I would say that the only other thing that I've ever seen like this was, I think it was a pay-per-view. It was called Over the Edge 1999 WWE and Owen Hart fell from the rafters, did die, Mm -hmm. and they finished the show.
1: Oh, my God.
2: People crying, doing pro. It was a disaster. The next night, Monday Night Raw was in St. Louis. It was a complete and disaster, they and they let it go
1: on. Was Hart's? I remember his death. Was his death from this? Was it this cardiac arrest? Or he just... fell and he hit the ring oh. post,
2: and the trauma of the impact. Did it. So it they did didn't it. know for a little while, but then it ultimately it was announced during by Jim Ross during the show that he had passed, and they finished the show. And it was like wrong, yeah, quite. And I think everybody who was associated with that would say, in hindsight, not to do it. But I remember watching that live, and that's what that, that was the. The feeling I got watching what happened yesterday is that we were, were witnessing an unspeakable tragedy and it was just, you know, you just were waiting. Like, just just tell me he's alive. That's just it. tell me he's alive. Like what that quality is, we'll figure out and hopefully navigate and it can become better or whatever, but tell me he's alive. And I think that was the hardest part. And I understand you can't deal in speculation. I thought Booger was great when Booker was like, uh, guy cancel this game like yeah. this is what are we talking about here we're talking about a young man's life is in the balance right now and we're talking about a football like yeah
1: yeah I, it took i thought the nfl it took way too long for that to happen
2: and we'll uh-huh. never know probably why if there were procedural things that had to be gone through or thought i, I have no idea but it, it felt quite obvious that this was no longer an environment that was suitable for entertainment
1: no. and whoever whoever said whoever's decision that was to give them five minutes and we go. I don't want to have that guy in an office and have a yeah. little conversation about whoever that was. Yeah. That said, yeah, five minutes and then we're good. And if that's Goodell, geez, I mean, that's I who knows. But that was it was a, it was obviously clearly wrong from jump. Um, so just a, it, it's a terrifying thing to say if you're Looking for glasses half full, and there are there is some of it out there. And, and it is the fact that how quickly everybody put into motion this plan, how quickly everybody got him to a hospital, level one trauma center, all of that, that plan all worked. Everybody ate that test. In addition to that, um, his mother has a daycare center, and they set up a GoFundMe before the holidays to raise $2,500 for the daycare center. As of this morning, $3.2 million, million has yeah. been raised. Um, for that daycare center, yep. so there is a lot of good uh, that can come of this, provided Demar Hamlin continues to progress and is good. Yes, but it was terrifying, and it shook the world, uh, the sports world certainly to its core. The crazy you were watching the uh, nineteen twenty three show. I I was my son and I were watching. He's eleven now, so he could stay up a little bit later. He was watching the Cavs. So Donovan Mitchell scored seventy one last night. So that's happening.
2: Well, my timeline was basically Donovan Mitchell and yeah. this. We're watching Which both were live quite a juxtaposition. And
1: you're bouncing back and forth between – got both screens on. You're bouncing back and forth between, is he alive? I mean, that, the basketball was muted until it was confirmed to me that he was. But in the meantime, my kid's 11, and he's going, holy cow, this, Donovan Mitchell scored like 16 straight points, and he had 55 before all of this started. Like he's doing the math and going, no one's done this before. It just was a. It was a surreal night, across the board. Yeah. It really was. If, if surreal
2: is a great word for it, so um, certainly just again, I'm still in the refreshing and just waiting for.
1: I know it. Good news, and yeah. it's there yeah. is good news, but it's not. The you're news. not getting the good news that you that you wanted, and I don't know if the timeline is f- appropriate for the good news that you wanted, or if it's something that takes longer. We you have no idea how quickly you could get that type yeah. of information out um we will um we will get into uh, a win against washington uh we will do that in an appropriate time and with the appropriate amount of joy that comes with that but obviously felt that this was the place to start um with sunday's win over washington tito's handmade vodka proud to support the cleveland browns with tito's victory vodka program one thousand dollar donation to the cleveland animal protective league helping foster compassion and end animal suffering thank you tito's and remember please enjoy tito's handmade vodka responsibly sponsored by tito's handmade vodka 80 proof Tito's Handmade Vodka, forty percent alcohol by volume, distilled and bottled in Austin, Texas, crafted to be savored responsibly. We will get into our win over Washington coming up next, and at the bottom of the hour, uh, Bills beat and sideline reporter Sal Capasio will join the program for his night last night. Which, my God, um, so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit too. We're off and running here on a Tuesday edition, Cleveland Browns Daily, eight fifty ESPN Cleveland. <laughs>
0: Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland.
1: What's well, a new way to cheer on your Cleveland Browns? With the help of your favorite four-legged companion, Barking Backers, presented by Milk Bones, the Browns' newest club for pet parents worldwide. Sign up today at BarkingBackers.com. Barking Backers, the fan club for dogs. It feels like six days ago we played.
2: Uh, Yeah, that was in... <laughs> That was a, a long day yesterday.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. It was a long day yesterday. Um, so we last we played, it was just two days ago. Sunday, Sunday, in fact, uh, it was in Washington against the Commies in a 24-10 win. Um we'll get into this at greater length and some of the breakdown of it as we get into the second hour, but just some preliminary thoughts before we go, uh, before Sal joins us here in about five, ten minutes. Um The this was one where you know, from a from a standings playoff all of that standpoint meaningless. Um, but I do think that that second half was needed in a very big way because it was going about as bad as could be in the first half of that game. And Certainly offensively. Defensively, for sure, please. yeah. But but that's all we're worried about now anyway, right? Sure. I mean, we just want to see the sure. offense click with Watson. You want to see it all justified. You want to see the, the – every time you hear Deshaun talk about – a big reason he came here, it's with – Kevin in the offense and you just wanted to see it click and we had not seen it click to the to the point that we had hoped or expected and it has it's been a little bit of a slower process and so to have those drives in the third quarter in the fourth quarter to finally it, it did feel like those were necessary from a football perspective to have a little bit of goodwill yeah and I would I
2: would go so far as to say I think the third quarter was the best quarter of football the Browns have played all year yeah, I think that that was the best, of the, or even the third into the fourth, that three-drive sequence where the Browns score three straight touchdowns. They get two three-and-outs. I think they gave up one field goal in between the touchdowns at one point, but bend, but don't break. Yeah, they did. Uh, I thought that stretch from the start of the third quarter up till five minutes and 21 seconds to go in the game was the best stretch of football this team has played, complementary football, special teams, offense, defense. And, and was it needed? You bet it was. It was needed in a major, major way. And and Deshaun Watson in the second half, I'm pretty sure it was like went six of ten for a hundred and 40-something or 160-something yards, three touchdowns, ends the day with a quarterback rating over 120. Chubb goes over 100 yards, which was the first running back to do that since Derrick Henry in Week 5 against this defense. Amari goes for 105 and a touchdown, two touchdowns, all in the second half. He's the first 100-yard receiver since Justin Jefferson against them in Week 9. And it was like, okay, that's what this team can be. The defense was there. All of it. I mean, this Washington Commanders team is a very good defense, and and we saw that, and it was siming
1: Full day up front.
2: Jonathan Allen goes down, helpful. Stefanski made some very good changes and and adjustments at the half uh, that were helpful. And it's funny, we haven't heard anything about that, which is funny, given how quickly people are to attack him. But uh, I thought that it was a masterful performance in, in all shapes, all facets, and, and some great balls from Deshaun. It was exactly what you needed because at halftime, you're thinking about coming in here and doing this show today, Oof. and it was terrifying. Yeah. It was a terrifying prospect. And now you're like... That's the glimpse, right? you were just hoping that's at some point wanted, for the glimpse, taste. right? What's this going to be right. like? And now we got served a beautiful piece of prime rib to, to wet our beak a little bit.
1: Yeah, the he hit a throw on a cover two. I think it was to Amari yeah. inside the red zone, inside the 10-ish, somewhere there between the on the on the left sideline. I line. was on
2: against their cover four. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, they, and he hit it. He hit that corner, deep corner, yeah. and you went. Okay, that's. That, I just need that. Give by the way, I was that. waiting
2: for that because if you watch the Niners game the week before, yeah. they play a ton of quarters. And so in a quarters coverage, if it will count from like the left side because this happened on the left side of formation. The outside receiver is one. The inside receiver is two. Yeah. If one runs a vertical, which we did, then two is covered by the safety who's deep. And when you come up on that safety at 10-plus yards, you on that route from the slot can go in, out, angle in angle out or you could keep running straight right at him and try to run by him while he's a little bit flat footed the Niners put Kittle in that position all game long they'd run a vertical on the outside he sometimes would run in breaking but he ran that out all the time it's exactly what by the way the Bengals did that's how Jamar Chase got all those catches against us our quarters and he'd run out from the slot and I was waiting for that and I was yeah. like, I was calling for it on the broadcast cuz that's where they're vulnerable and then you get him matched up on a safety force number 22 had a very nice year. but that was a big and then yeah to beat throw that from the far hash hit him right there that was a big time throw and then the the touchdown that followed was the patience of it you yeah hit, oh and then you hit chief on the against their cover 3 in that kind of slot fade yeah that was a great ball. It was like this is some this, these are elite throws. It's elite recognition, and he was taking because of our scheme the pre-snap information that was provided by some of the motions, using it and throwing. It was perfect, and that's yeah. what you wanted to see. Just wanted that perfect, A little bit elite. It was elite, and yeah. that's that's what we were waiting for. You're exactly right, though. Those were those were some good balls, and then the recognition of the way that our scheme forced their safety to choose, and he went with the vertical, and then you had Amari on the crosser on the touchdown. Mm-hmm. That was great. The touchdown to DPJ to hang in the pocket, go one, two, three. He was probably his third read there. Come to him. It was just that's we'd gotten a little teeny taste, but we hadn't seen it put together we'd and put seen together it throw, and t- throw right, right. right. Not not uh, drives, drives, not three touchdowns and three yeah. possessions, which is we're like, okay, that's what we can be here.
1: And when you think about the negative feelings that were up until that point, yeah. it was necessary. It really Quite. was and it was it was good to see. Um, all right, we will uh, really
2: uh, go ahead. You guys, just quick. real quickly, Deron Payne's going to be a free agent. I don't know if they let him hit the streets. I don't know what their financial situation is, but sold. Give me, come on home. I mean, he had two sacks. He could have had five. I mean, that's the other thing. Watson did some unbelievable oh, really houdiniing. Did. Although I did say on the broadcast, which made me laugh and a few of my friends as well, that they should have set that one play to like the curb music, where he's like oh, yeah. hey, sacked,
1: running around, and then right. throws it to Conklin.
2: What's he supposed to do? I mean, that's, yes. he's just running for his life, and he sees a guy well, on the
1: sideline. that was the point where it was like, we need something good on the next. We need something good now. Like, it's time to get something good. Yeah. And we got it. That was that was tough, we to got say it. the least. Yeah. We got it. Um, all right, coming up, we'll get some perspective on the um, – The night last night in Cincinnati, Uh, Sal Capaccio was there. He's on the sidelines for Buffalo. He'll join us for uh, a quick chat about what it was like for him last night and where they are now as an organization. That's coming up next. you listen to Cleveland Browns Daily. Brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland.
0: Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland.
1: Nothing quite like tailgating touchdowns and twisted tea. It tastes just like real iced tea. You know why? Because it's made with real brewed tea, cool, refreshing, and a 5% kick of alcohol. It's thirst down and gold. Twisted tea, hard it. tea, keep it twisted. As we continue here on Cleveland Browns Daily uh, we head out on the hotline now, the Twisted Tea hotline, and we are joined, uh, very gracious, to give us some of his time. I can't imagine what's going through your head. Sal Capaccio joining us, Bill's Beat and Sideline reporter, host of the Extra Point Show on WGR 550 Buffalo. Sal, thank you so much And what I have to assume is a, an absolutely impossible day. Um, can you take us through where you are now uh, f- from a headspace perspective, my friend?
3: yeah thanks um well physically physically I'm at, I'm at home uh, doing a lot of radio spots today around the country nationally and you know like yours to try to give a perspective of of what happened you know last night and also to be quite honest on that note to to help me out today because uh last night while I'm in the in the process of you know going through everything I, i'm I'm reporting on it and I'm talking about it. it's my job and you know you see the emotion and the gravity of it. But I think today it, 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 it hits home even more because now I'm sitting with it a little bit more, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, that's what it is. It's reflecting on what I witnessed last night. And, you know, there were, there was a lot that I saw down there, but now I'm seeing, I didn't watch the broadcast, you know, I'm on the field and now I'm seeing some of the shots that I didn't see last night, but some of the players that might've been on the other side of the field or something and the emotion that was coming out from there. So it's been a tough day. It's been a tough night, obviously, Um, You know, we're doing our best to kind of keep everybody informed and get information ourselves. So are there any updates? Is there anything you could tell us
2: about DeMar or is it still the same critical condition and and in care in Cincinnati?
3: Yeah, actually, the Bills did just release a statement uh, not too long ago, about 10 minutes ago. Uh, They said that DeMar did spend last night in intensive care, remains there today in critical condition at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. Um, they just send their well wishes and thanks for all the support. But that means there's really no update since last night. Um, you know, we're probably going to be here for a while thinking about, yeah. you know, and getting these kinds of updates that, you know, there's really not much. And I, I would assume that until there's something much more concrete, uh, you know, we are not going to hear from the bills or even maybe his family or anybody else, but you know, that's, I'm doing what everybody else is doing. You know, checking from the team, the league, his family, agencies, things like that, as you know, there's unfortunately a rush in this business to try and get things first. Right. Um, it's important here. We just get things right. That's what's yep. important. I mean, I, I don't care if a million people have something before me here. I just want to give the correct information to our listeners than anybody else I talk to.
2: So I spent many years on the sidelines with the Browns in the, in the role that you have as the, the radio sideline reporter, I've seen, obviously, unfortunately awful injuries as I know that you have as well. At what point did you know that this was different and, and what was kind of your experience through your eyes as this went from, oh, there was an injury to this is life and death?
3: So, you know, as you know, from being down there, if you see a player kind of collapse, fall down, you, you think I would assume to like to me, I think a head injury, right? Yep. Something happened, uh-huh. they got knocked out, right? That that's, mm-hmm. that's your first inclination. You're not thinking anything like this. So nope. that's what I originally thought was something. We didn't know who it was, by the way, first. I saw him standing and then collapse, and I thought, boy, that was just odd. I wonder if he got hit in the head and he got knocked out. And then, you know, we were trying to figure out who it was. But what happened was immediately was Bengals players and Bills players, but especially couple Bengals who were nearby, were calling for medical assistance right away. And whenever you see that, you know that if the players on the field know immediately that something is wrong like that, then this is something pretty serious. And then you saw the medical team rush out and I couldn't at one point I thought, are they performing CPR? No, like they wouldn't, that can't be happening. Right. I I thought maybe they're cutting the face mask off. You know, that means the hand motion I saw, you know, you can't really see in there come to find out it was both actually, because we know they were doing CPR and they had to cut off the face mask as well. But the moment that it got to a point where I said, this is horrific and something tragically wrong here was, the entire Bills sideline came off the bench, the, the staff, the players, the coaches, they formed this really big circle around the medical team working on DeMar, and they had him and the medical team like behind him, their backs to him, while the circle was facing out to the stadium. And the reason they did that, you could tell, they didn't want anyone seeing what was yeah. happening in there. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, I knew that this is completely awful.
1: Oh, chilling. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting when you're in those moments um, in like the one you're in. And it's, it's I thought there was an interesting perspective you had earlier when you shared that, you know, kind of actually resonates and sits home with you today more so than last night, Sal, because as you when you're in that spot doing the job you're doing, it's it's very it's you're in shock and it's very task oriented, right? It's like, here's what's next, here's what's next. Um, in the immediate aftermath of this, it, it appeared from the television, and Aikman and Buck said it on the broadcast like it was going to be a five minute cool down and then we were going to play again. Um, can you take us through what you recall from those minutes following this and how it eventually ended up smart heads prevailed and said, no, we're done?
3: Yeah. Um, when I, I I know everybody's saying that like Joe Buck said this and I wasn't listening to the TV broadcast right. I will tell you I don't remember anyone announcing like the referee or anyone. He might have. I don't remember anyone saying we'll have a five minute warm up. I don't remember anyone saying the game is going to resume. What I will tell you is the Bills defense was on the field. Like they were ready. They were well. I wouldn't say ready. They were getting prepared to play the next play. Right. And I think even they didn't know what was going on. Stephon Diggs was trying to gather the team together and give him a little yeah. more energy. He had tears in his eyes, and he's trying to get the team together and, and talk to him. And then I remember him going out, and Saran Neal, who had, was filling in for Taron Johnson, who got concussed earlier in the game, or at least was evalu- being evaluated for concussion, he went out and he put his two hands on Saran Neal's face and was like in his face like telling him, like, come on, let's go, get ready, you've got to go out there and play, something to that effect. Because that's what was happening. Like, all of a sudden, they were expected to flip the switch, apparently, and go out there. But I don't know who told them that. I don't know if they were just assuming because this is their job and that's what they assume happens after these things. I don't know. But while they were doing that, were, the defense was on the field, the offense on the sidelines. Sean McDermott was speaking with the officials. And then I saw Zach Taylor come over. And that's when I thought to myself, okay, I don't think we're going to play here for a little while, but what's going on? And then maybe a while, five, ten minutes after that, Sean McDermott motioned and said, we're going to the locker room
2: and that was the meeting between mcdermott and zach taylor that seemed to be the moment where it they came together and said this is not happening and the teams went were you close to that did did you were you privy to anything that was said there and and kind of was that were we reading that right on tv that that was the moment where the coaches basically got together and said this isn't happening and we're going in
3: well are you talking about when they were on the field together Yeah. Yeah. Uh Because, yeah, because, because I I don't know if the, I I don't think a decision was made there on the game itself. I I think decisions were probably made about maybe going in the locker room because what's crazy is at that time, I could see into the tunnel and still see the ambulance. Players could see in the tunnel and still see the ambulance. You expect these guys to go out there and play when they're looking and the ambulance is sitting right there with its lights on and hadn't left the facility yet? Like, you know, I mean, that was just surreal. And, I'm I'm assuming now by the time I get in there, the, the ambulance had actually left right around that time. Um, and I would assume they were talking about, let's get in the locker room and regroup. I don't know if the decision was made then, so I wasn't privy to that. But I will tell you that once that they got into the tunnel, they met again. Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor were meeting in the tunnel um, off to the locker room, basically, to the side. We couldn't be over there. It was in the hallway, and they wouldn't let any media over there. And they were on the phone with what yeah. I'm presuming is someone from the league office. And then I saw... Bills GM Brandon Bean, COO Ron Rakuya, they were all together as well with Sean as we were trying to figure out what was going on and you know they were keeping us at bay from the media. I'm assuming you
2: travel with the team and if so, what was that? And, And I have done that. I can't even imagine what it was like getting on that plane. I can't imagine what it was like flying home on that plane, what it was like being on the buses. It had to be just and it, I I don't even know what what was that like and uh, you know there were reports that Stefan Diggs did all the players come back or did some of them go stay at the hospital that Diggs had gone to the
3: hospital to see him. So they were at the hospital for a while. We we gather our things from the the media room the post game media room and we had to kind of stay in the hallway. They wouldn't let the media go anywhere. They wouldn't let us move. And this is people in the organization, video people, social media people, me, radio crew. We had to stay there for a while. Players were coming out of the locker room. They had to stay. They really didn't let everybody kind of move out of our space. And then finally we started to, to move to get on the bus. We get on the bus. I would say maybe eleven fifteen. And I will tell you, probably stayed on the bus for over an hour before we actually yep. pulled out. And now, now realizing why, they were waiting for people to get back who were at the hospital because everybody from the team, I was told everybody other than DeMar Hamlin, obviously came back, including Sean McDermott, who had been at the hospital, came back to the buses, bus took off, went to the uh, plane. Um, As you know, you know, you can't get into details on the the specifics of traveling with the team and, you know, what's going on, but I will tell you that it was just very quiet. You know, you you don't know who to talk to. You don't want to talk to anybody. Nobody wants to talk. You don't know what to say. Everybody's on their phones trying to get updates you know, typically a night game anyway. Your people are going to be tired, it's going to be quiet, people sleeping on the way home, and things like yep. that. But you know, it was uh, it was it was quiet and somber. I'll just say it that way.
1: Sal, thank you so much for your time yeah. and
3: sharing your perspective,
1: and um, we appreciate you a great deal. And the the Browns and the organization, thinking and praying for all of you guys uh, over there, and for most importantly, for us for Demar. So, thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. All right, guys, thank you. Right, Sal Capaccio, he's a sideline reporter, uh, host of the Extra Point Show on WGR 550 Buffalo, and was on the sidelines last night. Go ahead, Gibby.
4: Yeah, we have updates from the NFL. Uh, the NFL put out this statement literally about seven minutes ago. The NFL continues to be in regular contact with the medical team caring for DeMar Hamlin and also the Bills and Bengals organizations and the NFL Players Association. After speaking with both teams and NFL PA leadership, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell informed both clubs today that the Bills-Bengals game will not be resumed this week. The NFL has made no decision regarding the possible resumption of the game at a later date. The league has not made any changes to the Week 18 regular season schedule. We will continue to provide additional information as it becomes available.
1: You know, it's – it's two, you know, you, there's two separate lines of thought bubbles here, right? There's uh, the continued uh, thoughts and prayers with the individual, which is the primary focus yep. and as it should be. And then there is also the logistical part of it from a football perspective, and that is that there are games to be played this week. And if we get into that bubble for a second, acknowledging our hearts are in the other one, if only for a moment, logistically, I don't know how they would pull this off anyway. I mean, I guess you can do anything, um, sorta, but you're talking about if you tried to play this game if you try to play this game at some point, where do you shoehorn it in? And I'm, you know,
5: it's, a, it's hard for me to wrap my head around.
1: Would you postpone
2: the playoffs a week, eliminate the week between the championship games and the Super Bowl, and then play this as a singular game? Which
1: feels we're not even sure anything's going to be at stake, per se. Well, maybe that's what they do. Maybe you play Week 18 and see if anything would matter from this. Um, and, and then if it would, maybe that is what you would have to do. Because if Kent, just from a football perspective, and acknowledging this it feels weird to even discuss this right now, but from a football perspective, if Kansas City wins this weekend, they're the one, and this one has less. Cincinnati plays Baltimore. If they win, they win the AFC North. So that sort, sorts that out. Buffalo would have a half game lead over Cincinnati in the AFC standings. They'd be the so Buffalo would be the 2, Cincinnati would be the 3 as it stands right now and that could be flipped the 2 and the 3, but that would be it provided Kansas City were to win this weekend and provided Cincinnati were to beat Buffalo.
2: The issue would have been had Buffalo won that game. Mm-hmm they would have been and then one week 17 they would have been the one seed right regardless of kansas city
1: uh, don't they have a half game lead doesn't doesn't kansas city have a half game because on they them? haven't
2: played but if they had played and won they'd be 13 and three same as kansas city they would oh, have beaten them head to head and they would have been nine and two in the they're conference 12 and three right so they would have both been 13 and three so they had a chance they still had a chance to the one seed as of last night uh which would have meant if they so I, then
1: even so everything i just said it's even that doesn't work
2: Unless Buffalo says we don't care
1: about that. Which again, I, I don't know. And this is you think about what that team has been through? I mean, they had their team moved, they had the game moved, they had thirty some people closed. die in the, that winter storm in yes. Western New York. Got stuck in, in their Chicago on Christmas. Stuck in Chicago and now this tragedy, all of this. I mean, and the lot. two
2: scary this the two scariest things that have happened this season to uh and this both in Cincinnati. Yeah. They said T. Higgins, and understandably so, even though he did nothing wrong other than catch a pass, was despondent walking out sure. with his mom, you know. It's just horrific. Just horrific.
1: Yeah. I I am uh I'm not sure. And I don't think they do. There's no there's no real wiggle room from that. Anymore. No. What is the schedule like for this week for the obviously Cincinnati has Baltimore Buffalo must have a New Buffalo
4: has a big gun against New England New England at home Jeez.
2: New England both wins, teams are they're home. In. New England wins they're in. New England also gets in if Miami loses to the Jets and Pittsburgh loses to Cleveland.
4: It's a big game
2: yeah it's
4: yeah. inconsequential now, but right. Um, at some point it will become.
1: So right now, matter
4: of consequence.
1: Why is ba- Why does it say right now Baltimore and Cincinnati is to be determined on a kick time? Where's so it say I that? just
4: I just saw that too. I'm looking from at it on Jonathan ESPN. They Johnson? have it
1: as a, as a to be determined Buffalo, uh, Cincinnati and Baltimore because
2: they, they they said they haven't made it, they've made no determination. So I mean that's no no. What I'm saying is
1: the Buffalo game is scheduled. It's scheduled for one o'clock Sunday. They host New England. Gotcha. Right now, Baltimore at Cincinnati is to be determined.
4: I just saw the same thing. I saw a tweet from someone at CBS Sports. And I and I don't know why. Yeah. It says to
2: be, says to be announced. Where could you move that to where? So
4: Jonathan Jones. Later in the day. Because it's all it was, NFC at,
1: in the 4 o'clock except for LA and Denver. Everything yeah. else is from, NFC.
4: Yeah, from CBS Sports, Jonathan Jones. This is four minutes ago. Ravens-Bengals will be played Sunday as of now. It's unclear at what time. The result of last night's game was to determine what time that AFC North contest would take place, whether it is at one PM or four twenty five PM. Oh.
1: Still. So that part's still up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to sort through here. Both uh all while a young man's life hangs in the balance yeah. and just logistically. I, it's hard to imagine a scenario how you – I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. You move move it all back a week. You could
4: call it a tie. You, you you have the wiggle room with the Pro Bowl week, but that changes a lot of logistics and a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, now you're giving every team essentially a week off in between the playoffs for and these the regular two. season. Except, except these, for these yeah. two.
1: And these are two that are – they're two of the five that can win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. wild you know they even do you put it up to the teams i
0: don't know if you can i don't know i think
1: you're on to something when you say like
4: you see how week 18 plays out i mean there's still going to be a conversation you have to have about who's seated higher buffalo or cincinnati but
1: mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean we've never had a no contest no so pretty wild stuff uh, to say the least, and uh, Sal very gracious with his time in and a trying time for them. Um, all right, uh, when we get back, we will. We really haven't had a discussion on on our game. The Hoff will join the program as he well. Will. We do have the Joe Thomas hour of the program coming up, um, and I'm guessing we'll we'll get some of his views on, on what happened last night, and we'll also spend a lot of time on our game because we haven't done that yet either. Uh, you listen to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland.
5: On the right hip of Watson, it's Kareem Hunt. He's got the snap. Third down and five. He's looking left, throwing. Cooper's there. He got it. Cooper up the sideline. Still going. Cooper running down the sideline. 10-5. Head zone. Touchdown. Amari Cooper. 46 yards on a third down play. And the Browns go in for the score. The first reception on the day for Cooper.
0: Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by Ballybet coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN
1: Cleveland Rumpke Waste Recycling family owned and operated. Whether you join them as a customer, as an employee you'll become part of the family. Visit Rumpke.com to learn more, you're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio, and it is the Joe Thomas Hour of the program. Uh, Joe, we obviously will, will, we haven't really spent much time talking about our game, and we do want to do that, too, uh, but we ought to give you the opportunity um, to just get your thoughts on what you saw last night, um, the horrific scenes from Cincinnati. We've spent a lot of the first hour discussing it. Um, were you watching it live when it happened, Joe? And, and what was the evening like for you as a former player who's been down there and uh, certainly knows I guess some a part of what the deal is when you put on an NFL uniform and a helmet and go get out on that field but certainly what we saw last night's not in the brochure.
6: You're exactly right um, I was actually not watching it live so uh, Monday night football Thursday night football Sunday night football I usually kind of join things a little bit late because that 7 to seven forty-five window is kind of bedtime at the house um, so I was helping mama put the kids down and I'll usually pause the game at the beginning and then just kind of catch up through commercials. And usually by halftime, I'm all caught up. And as soon as I had put um, my youngest daughter, Reese, down, I came back and got into my room and got situated to go turn the game on. And I looked at my phone and I started seeing all these text messages. And I saw one that uh, the four of us are on, me, you z gib a and all of a sudden i was like oh my gosh what what happened in the game and so instead of watching you know kind of what happened up until that point i quickly just fast forwarded and it was about four or five minutes after the play where i i caught right up and was able to see kind of what happened and then see the reaction and then kind of see how things were being handled on the field and you instantly were able to understand as soon as joe buck Said, hey, I think they're giving him CPR. That's when you realize that this was not a head injury where a player, you know, lost consciousness, which is terrible, but we've dealt with that before. I feel like sure. the NFL understands the course of action, and you as a player, when you step out on that field, you understand it's a very violent game. Uh, bones break, knees explode, elbows explode in my case. Um, Head injuries are a part of the game, unfortunately. Those are the things that you're able to emotionally comprehend when they happen. Um, And I think those are the things that you've, in the past, had to watch, witness, kind of take it all in, refocus, and go back out and play another play. I did an article after I retired called Move the Drill, which is sort of the mantra of an NFL player that, you know, you see a lot of bad things that happen on a field from a injury standpoint, um, and sometimes it happens to you, but the train keeps going no matter what it is. But I think last night was different because the train didn't keep going because, to your point when you said it's not part of the brochure, those guys that were playing that game, those fans, us, that were tuning in last night to watch, nobody understands and was able to comprehend that a player could lose their life on that field that night. It has happened in the past. It's not that nobody's ever died on a football field, but certainly not in recent memory. And I think with modern medicine and the way that the NFL and the teams monitor players and try to give them the best equipment for safety, the best medical care for if something does happen, to be able to help them. Um, I think we maybe are, are lulled to sleep a little bit with a sense of complacency that yeah injuries happen but we'll be okay. But what we saw last night I, it was not okay.
2: It certainly was not and it was, it was chilling and it's still today given that we, all we know is that he remains in ICU and in critical condition that it, it, it still is a very difficult situation to deal with. You're the only one who's been in a locker room, you're the only one who's been you know, on the field for situations, fortunately not quite like this one, but what, you know, when you saw the reactions of the players, what, what was going through your mind and, and how would that be processed in a locker room? I don't know how you process that
6: <clears throat> because every time you've had to deal with traumatic injuries before, eventually you know the guy's going to be okay somewhere down the line. I mean, even – I remember watching that movie about uh, the Jets player. Was it Bird? The guy broke his neck. Dennis Bird, yeah. but Dennis Bird. I watched that when I was a kid, you know. I was like my son's age, like six or seven, loving football. And I watched that movie, and it was sort of shocking. But there was a happy ending to it, right? Sort of, you know, the guy ended up having – a, a reasonable life and was able to recover a little bit and ended up walking again. Um, and, you know, I think that's what makes players that are in that locker room. That what made me feel okay. Going out and playing football is like, you know what, in the end, there's going to be some, some damage, maybe po- possibly, right? Everybody understands that, you know, there might even be some very serious injuries. And in the worst case scenarios, there's brain injuries, but you know, the most people, almost everybody that gets injured in the NFL, somewhere down the line, there's a happy ending. There's something that you can feel better about. But when, when you're dealing with a matter of life and death, it's hard to comprehend. And I, I'm sure that those players are instantly feeling this is not, this is not the game of football that I have willfully, and lovingly put my arms around my entire life. Um, And I'm not okay playing this game if death is a possibility.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, the, in terms of where we are now with this DeMar Hamlin, uh, this from the Bills about 45 minutes ago, spent last night in the intensive care unit remains there in critical condition at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. Uh, the Bills releasing a statement, grateful and thankful for the outpouring of support we received thus far. Uh, Joe, we also have this from the NFL. The NFL continues to be regular contact uh, with the team caring for Hamlin, the Bills, the Bengals, the NFLPA. After speaking with both teams, NFLPA leadership, Roger Goodell, informed the clubs today that the Bills-Bengals game will not be resumed this week the NFL has made no decision regarding the possible resumption of the game at a later date the league has not made any changes to the week 18 regular season schedule they'll continue to provide additional information as it becomes available I said this in the last segment there are two separate things here there's the ongoing thoughts and prayers for DeMar Hamlet, and then on a separate track is the football side of it and what the logistically happens here um there's not a lot of wiggle room is there joe um there's a a game there's a full slate of games that are played this weekend and then it's wild card after that and we're on to it first round of the playoffs um this is one this this game has a great deal of meaning in terms of standings and all of that and understand that that's secondary to the the health of hamlin but at the same time this thing will this thing will move on how does the nfl navigate this
6: how should it i haven't yeah, I haven't really heard any of the possible scenarios um, because honestly, I woke up today just kind of a little sick to my stomach a little bit still. Yeah. Um, last night, you know, you're watching that coverage on Fox and they're going to commercial break and then they're coming back, and these poor people on ESPN have to sit there and try to process in real time what's going on. And they're, you know, got a camera in their face for four or five minutes at a time and they don't know what to say, of course. I thought they handled themselves incredibly well and professionally and did a great job with the time that they were forced to be in front of the camera. Um, but I eventually, I'd turn it off before they even decided to cancel the game because I just, I, I couldn't handle it anymore, you know? You just get to that yeah. point where yeah. emotionally it's too much, it hurts too much, and you're just like, I, I, I just need to step away for a second. And so I haven't really done my normal Monday, Tuesday routine, which is kind of listening to the sports talk radio and reading stuff on the internet about this this week's games and the Monday night game and stuff like that. So I just kind of stepped away from football a little bit. However, um, they're going to have to do something with the game and I don't mean they have to play it, but they're going to have to decide, does it just end in a tie? Do, Do they end it in, you know, they haven't played even a quarter, so you can't give one team the victory or the other team the loss, um, it's almost, I think, maybe the best course of action is just assume that the game didn't play and then just take their win-loss percentage at the end of the season and then try to stack it up as fairly as you possibly can with the playoff rankings. Um, like I said, I haven't gone down that path as far as like sure. how that would look, um, but there's no way they can play the game. Like They can't play it today. They, they're not going to play it tomorrow. They got mm-hmm. games on Sunday, and then it's the playoffs. There's no way to fit... This game in at this point in the season is impossible. All the bye weeks are gone. The playoffs is right around the corner. And so really, I think what's going to end up happening is either they're going to give them both ties or just assume as if the game didn't happen and just have them play 16 games and then just match their winning percentage up against the other teams to get that playoff seeding. But um it's, it's definitely something that I think the NFL has been talking about and will probably announce in the next day or two. But certainly one of the options that's not on the table is playing this game in the
2: next two weeks. No, which is a, a stunning thing. And, you know, guys, as we've been sitting here talking and we had the, the Bill Sideline reporter on, and, and I don't know how many of you guys had this thought even last night, but were of the of the generation that, you know, the first thing I thought about honestly was, was Hank Gathers and that tragedy and you're just hoping like this the don't let this be that. Now, Hank Gathers had well-documented heart issues, and was being that was it was a known thing at the time. But it didn't change the stunning nature of him collapsing. And I believe it was like the
1: WCC then, the West Coast Conference tournament. And also, everyone has seen the images of that, but it, it's been mostly in documentary form. Nobody was watching that live. It wasn't no. an NFL game, no, like Monday ever- Night Football. It was something that was happening. You know, I, I meant we mentioned the hockey stuff that it, that has happened. It's happened a couple of times in hockey. Um, so, but yeah, I mean that's that that certainly that was on the court, and we've seen those images, but we didn't was not live. Wasn't Monday Night Football? And we didn't. No one was watching no. that game live. It was in the middle of night? I'm pretty yeah. sure on the West Coast. Yeah, just
2: it is wild. Just and half. Just to to your point earlier, if they were to go strictly off of percentage as it is today, Buffalo would be the two. Cincinnati would be the three, uh, assuming that they both win or both lose the next week. Buffalo. If Kansas City were to lose and Buffalo were to win, I do believe that Buffalo actually still, if they counted as a no game, not as a tie, as a no no game, game, then I still think it would hold for Buffalo that they could be the one seed if Kansas City lost and they won because they would be thirteen and three. Kansas City would be thirteen and four, and thirteen and three is a better winning percentage than thirteen and four. So that that would be the way to continue that week 18's meaning would not change. Now, the only team that would have a problem with that, I am guessing, would be the Baltimore Ravens because the Baltimore Ravens' best-case scenario would be 11-6, and six, the Bengals' worst-case scenario would be 11-5, and five, so they would have no chance to beat them, even though they would have the better division record, which is if had the Bills won and then the Ravens beat the Bengals, the Ravens actually would have won the AFC North. Correct. So that would be eliminated. <laughs> the Bills' opportunity to be the one seed would remain intact. Um, I would have to think Baltimore would be understanding of the yes, circumstances so. and say, okay, well, we're in the playoffs and that's that. Yeah.
6: Yeah. I mean, I think that's the way they'll go because it just seems like it's the most fair, um, but certainly unprecedented. And you wonder, in in hindsight, if the NFL had ever considered this potential and how they would handle it, you know, because it seemed like for a minute there that the NFL was going to have them try to continue playing. Yeah. And both teams just kind of said, no, nah, we can't do yeah. that when we don't know if our brother is alive or not. Um, and so I wonder if there's going to be some new protocols that come out of this as far as, you know, resuming to play, when they resume to the play, when they decide not to. And then what happens if they can't make up a game, um, like the instance that we seem to have right here
1: yeah all right we will um we will move our attention uh to our game we did play uh, a win on sunday against washington uh the offense clicked and we'll get hoff's view on what he saw from the offense in the third and fourth quarter uh we will do that coming up next you're listening to the joe thomas hour of cleveland browns daily brought to you by Ballybet. bet coming soon ohio on 850 espn cleveland
5: To the left and Joku on the left, too. On third down, watch it back to back up in the pocket, throws wide open. Peoples Jones has it, and he's going towards the goal line, and he leaps in touchdown Donovan Peoples Jones.
0: Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by Ballybet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland.
1: OBM is the official printer partner of the Cleveland Browns. While you depend on the Browns to win, you can always depend on OBM. They'll tackle any size office. Call 216-485-2000 or visit ohiobusinessmachines.com. It's a Victory Tuesday presented by Tito's Handmade Vodka. It is the Joe Thomas Hour of Cleveland Browns Daily as we continue. And let's get into our game. We haven't had an opportunity to do that yet for for obvious and appropriate reasons, Hoff. Um, This this was what happened in the third quarter and into the fourth. Was a long time coming. Nathan and I talked about this in the first hour and it was needed, I think, because it was a tough watch for a half of football and then something clicked in the second half and in the third and fourth quarters. He made the point earlier. He thought it was the best we've played all season that third quarter of football. I think I probably agree with him on that. Um, What changed from your vantage point and how needed was it to get that type of look from the offense?
6: Well, the execution was a lot better. It seemed like all of a sudden Deshaun Watson was reading the defense and um, seeing things before they would happen. You know, the anticipation got a lot better. Um, The receivers were hitting their routes, I think crisply and opening up some big gashes in the secondary um, for Deshaun Watson to hit them. The running game was starting to click. And I think all those things are synergistic. So you get one thing going, and then all of a sudden, defenses, they're worried a little bit about the passing game. They start to take the foot off the gas a little bit on trying to stop your run, then you're able to gash them in the run game, and then they're kind of um, kind of caught in conflict. They don't know what they're trying to take away from, and then that's the balance you're trying to reach on offense. And it was fun to watch, and it was fun to see those guys on offense start to bring a little bit of joy when they were making some of those nice plays. Um, Because like you mentioned early on, they were kind of stubbing their toe a little bit, especially with the turnovers that the defense was finally providing. It seems like for the first time all season offensively, they just weren't able to capitalize and play that complimentary football that you have to do if you want to be a playoff team next season.
2: And they were able to get it going in that second half. Did you see anything schematically from Kevin Stefanski that that changed to open it up, or was it simply a situation of we were able to protect him a little bit better, and, and Deshaun Watson was able to pick apart the defense and make some some big-time throws?
6: You know, I think the protection was, was better, so Deshaun had a little bit more time in the pocket, but then also when he started to scramble. Uh, but it seems like also the offense is getting more comfortable with some of these gun runs and some of these runs that Deshaun is a little bit better at, some of the – Zone read, some of the RPOs, and just some of the stuff even under center where Deshaun doesn't have as much experience running from under center. Um, but I think that balance under center in the gun and executing those puts it hard on the defense because now they don't know what they're going to get. When you're offensively executing your whole playbook just as well as, any, as the first play or the last play, It makes it really hard on the defense because now they're just kind of guessing and they can't try to hone in on any of those tendencies or any of those strengths that um, you're trying to hit over and over again because they're concepts that you do really well.
2: One of the things that I thought that stood out and uh, read a great article by Jake Burns who's been on the show a few times breaking Mm -hmm. it down. Was, you know, when we're in that shotgun and we run the pin pull, it's always with the back coming across the quarterback, right? Because he's at his on his left side. So it's a run play to the right where you pin pull, pull the guards from the left side in the center and then get out there. Sometimes it's a guard in the tackle. It depends. But run that to across your formation, we'll call it. What he did was, what Kevin Svansky did on Deshaun Watson's big 20-yard run is gave that look and made him think it was that action, but we actually pulled the front side guard back around who was the lead blocker for Deshaun on a design quarterback run that got 20, and then on the touchdown pass to Amari Cooper, it was the same, where it was a play action off of that coming across, pin pull across the formation. They pulled the front side guard again to make it then think that it was going to be that quarterback run again, so the linebacker took a step up, and then you saw the huge room in the middle of the field, and he was able to hit Amari. That's the kind of stuff, right, the A to the B to the B to the C, where, you get them thinking one thing and all of a sudden now you hit them with something they hadn't seen on tape before. And then you're able to hit them with a variation off of that. And I thought that was a pretty awesome design adjustment and then execution there in the second half.
6: Yeah. So when Kashi Anahan became the offensive coordinator in 2014, he kind of opened my eyes up to offensive football and how things are supposed to look, how you marry the run in the pass, and it opens up these huge shots in the play action game because all my coordinators up until that point had like run calls, and then pass calls. And your run game didn't look really anything like your passing game. So when you lined up and you ran the ball, the defense knew you were going to run it. And if you were throwing it, it was just drop back pass. And so your play action scheme didn't look like your run scheme, so it had almost no effect on the linebackers and the safeties. But I think what you saw on Sunday, to your point, which was awesome, um, was the Browns being able to successfully execute some of their concepts that they like, like the pin pulls from the shotgun with Deshaun, but being able to do it in either direction. So having that balance, whether it's a uh, running back coming across a formation or you snapping it and flipping it to him already going in the same direction if he's all offset that way, but then also having some nice play action concepts off of that to give the defense the same feel, look, and sound that your run game does when you line up and you run that run play for the first two, one and a half to two seconds of that play. So it puts them in conflict. It gives them the feel like, oh, I have to go fit my gap here because this is a really good run game that we can't let get going. And all of a sudden, after two, three steps in the wrong direction, the guy's got to put on the brakes and try to get into pass coverage. And so I think that's when this offense is going to be at its most dangerous. And you saw really good glimpses of that in that, in that second half, in that third quarter where they were really rolling. And I think it, it gets me excited to think about what they can do having a full year under their belt in this system with Deshaun Watson, at quarterback.
1: Yeah, Joe, I, I think for all of us, we kind of needed it. And I'm wondering if you can take us in the mind of Deshaun Watson, someone who you, you like him, you elite, elite, best of the best type situation. Um, it felt like since he's been back, I wonder if he needed it too. Because it felt like almost like, why isn't this working the way that it used to work? Sometimes I got the feeling watching him play, and it, it did feel like he needed it. Did I, You've probably never had a stretch where it wasn't working the way you want it to like this. Um, but, but in terms of taking us inside his mind, do you think he needed to have the third and fourth quarter like he did?
6: I think so, too, because no matter how confident you are in your own abilities, obviously a lot has changed for him from the last time he stepped on a football field when he was with the Houston Texans. Um, having that big layoff, anybody, any competitor in the back of their mind is going to question, like, do I still have it? Has something changed? Like,
1: yeah,
6: it's been a long time since I've gone out and done this. And I remember Romeo Cornell, he would always tell us when I was in my first two years in the NFL, like, if you're a rookie, you have to prove to the coaches and your teammates and yourself that you can do it. If you're a veteran... Training camp is proving to the teammates, the coaches, and yourself that you can still do it. Because when you have that long layoff, there's a lot of things that have changed. Like, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to question yourself. And then the game that he had when he first came back against Houston, uh, Deshaun did not look sharp. He was not sharp. He was rusty. Mm -hmm. And there was some conversation about, hey, is he ever going to be the same quarterback that we saw in Houston? And no matter how confident you are in your own abilities – there's that little voice in the side of, in the, in the top corner of your head saying, Hey, maybe they're right. Maybe you don't have it anymore. And you try to stop that voice out as much and as quickly as possible, but it's still there. And I think it's real, especially the longer you do feel like you're struggling or you're not yourself, the more you start thinking that maybe this is just the new me that I have to get used to and that I'll never yeah. be the old version of myself. And so having a game like he had uh, on Sunday, and then also having that stretch in the third quarter specifically where he was really rolling, that uh, I feel like he's like, oh no, I got this. It was just a matter of knocking off the rust. And by the time we're doing this for real next season, I'll be at where I was when I left Houston or even above that because now I've matured as a player and I've got a much better roster around me.
2: Isn't it amazing though how different it is when you just come through in high leverage situations? First half we go zero for third down. Mm-hmm. Second half until the very end when we were running out the clock, we convert every third down. First oh, half yeah. we go into the red zone, we don't execute. Second half we go in the red zone, we do execute on a third down. Like they're called money downs for a mm-hmm. reason. They're called high leverage situations for a reason. That's the difference between scoring twenty one points in a in a quarter and a half and and scoring six nine zero. It's crazy, and that's really where it was clicking. And I think, to his point, that's the confidence. Like, all right, it doesn't matter. So we're in third and five. We're in third and 11. We're third and 11 or third and nine from the 13. I'm going to come through and make the play, and and we're going to be fine. And when you can do that, that's when you break teams' wills. And I think we broke their will in that game, along with Ron Rivera putting in Carson Wentz. That helped. By the way, that was like – We talked about the Thursday night game Jets Jags where that crowd was just out for Zach Wilson's blood, like Mm -hmm. booing every it was the same. I don't know if it came across on TV. Oh it did. I mean (laughs) booing it here chanting for Heineke after the first play.
6: Joe, have you it's interesting. Go ahead, Joe. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say I did a Washington uh, sports talk show on Friday and we were talking about the decision to go with Carson Wentz over Heineke and I, you know, was kind of honest about like Hey, we've seen a lot of Carson Wentz and I'm not sure that this version of the reclamation product uh, project is going to be any better than the last time we saw him out there. And I'm not exactly sure why Ron Rivera felt like he should go with Carson because I'm kind of the guy that always believes you really don't want to make a quarterback move unless you absolutely are sure and you have to, and you can never go back because confidence and decision making go hand in hand for quarterbacks, and it's a, probably the most important thing that a quarterback does is their decision making. And so as soon as you destroy the confidence, like it's kind of over for that guy potentially being your starting franchise quarterback. And Carson had his chance this year. I realize he got hurt, but like they were not setting the world on fire when he was back there. Two and, and four. this was this was Taylor Heineke's team, and to take that away from him after a short stretch of not playing great football. To me, it felt wrong, and it felt like it was only a matter of time before Carson came out there. By the way, he's going to be rusty yet. He played a little bit, but he didn't play a whole lot. Um, So you knew that he was not going to be sharp. And then what was going to happen? First of all, the confidence of the teammates, which doesn't seem like teammates like Carson over Mm -hmm. Heineke. It seems like they want Heineke. And you know the fans love Heineke. Like, he's just that type of guy that, people that fans are drawn to that story. And for whatever reason, you can have your opinions like teammates and fans just don't really like Carson Wentz all that much. He just doesn't seem like the type of person that as as a quarterback, people want to cheer for. And so you knew that as soon as he's going to have one bad play, like the fans were going to come down on him hard and he probably wasn't going to be responding very well because he's always seemed to be the type of quarterback that really struggles handling criticism and there's no worse criticism as a quarterback. And there's no more immediate feedback than your fans booing the crap out of you after you make a bad throw.
1: Huff, have you heard anything in NFL circles? What it is about him? I mean, he's a North Dakota kid. Like, I mean, that's in between you and me, like they're pretty grounded people. Usually like what, what is it about him that rubs people? I've talked to Chris long about this. Uh, years ago and he loved him um but it feels like i mean ursay couldn't be more quickly to get him out of indy as fast as he could like have you heard anything through the league about what is it about him that rubs people the wrong way
6: you know it's bizarre i'm with you too because you know i've known plenty of north dakotans and they're all great people travis hafner was one of my good buddies on the indians when i was playing there he's a north dakota guy and um everybody i've ever met from north dakota has been awesome Shoot, I got a farm in North Dakota. They got great right. people out there, but I don't know Wait, what's what? going on. Yeah, Pop's yeah, got yeah, a farm in North Dakota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What? About that. Yeah, yeah. That's another You're one. It's, a, it's, you Jeez know, Louise. trying to take over the world like uh, one God, farm at a time. Ted Turner. Yeah, that's right. What's
2: this one called?
6: Uh, this one's Madison, Dakota. It was it was I named after it. my dogs.
1: Madison. But anyways, I love it. Amazing. Um, amazing. But how do we just but learn yeah. about this? What I mean, the news like, right. people, this but will say right. this for the off season. It's an deal? hour on this. Yeah,
6: that's right. What is, what's the deal with, with Carson Wentz? I don't know. Like I, I'm weird. Bumped into him a few times post game when I was doing TNF and he seems okay. Like he wasn't super g- gregarious. Um, So maybe like he just hasn't been able to connect with his teammates. And at the quarterback position, you have to be able to do that. You got to be gregarious and you got to be socially able to make those like personal connections with your teammates, especially your offensive line, your pass catchers, your your coaches, your owner, like you're as much of like the the social person on the team as anybody else is at any other position, even more so than the head coach because you got to have those personal relationships with so many people in that building. And I don't know if he's just not been able to build that because he just feels uncomfortable in that role. I I have no idea. I'm just purely speculating, but I think maybe not having those personal connections, people feel a little bit turned off. And then when he does something bad, it's easier to like cheer for the other guy first to have success. Um, And then I don't know from a fan standpoint, why why they don't really like him. Um, Yeah. It's, it's a mystery. Strange. Yeah, Yeah. it
1: really is. One thing before we put, uh, and we'll do game balls and all of that. But one last thing on this, uh, how about Mr. Grant Delpit, Denzel Ward setting a tone early with a pick? This um, this. was this, It's it's two years in a row where this defense, the second half, Z, has taken off. Yeah, and you wish – where was this I earlier? I don't know. I, I don't mean, know. It's painful. But here, it's,
2: listen to this stat. We had three interceptions in the first 11 games, eight now in the last five games. We had three interceptions in the first 11 games. We had three in this game, and it's like we've had an interception in five straight games now. We're generating the takeaways like we thought we could, and – it's shown what this defense can be. We're excellent on the back end. I think it's clear as day. We have the talent that we need. What we we have to add is, it'd be nice to add a Jaron Payne, but you need yeah. some beef in the middle of your defensive line. But I thought we held up very well against what had been a very effective running attack of, of the Washington Commanders. Um, but I think that's all really that's missing. And it's like this defense, there's no reason it wasn't like this early in the season. It was still guys who had been here a year ago in the same system making just unbelievable blown assignments. And the fact that we've gotten that cleaned up now, we're a darn tough defense to move the football on. We're very difficult to throw the football on. And that's what yeah. you want to be in the modern NFL.
6: Something that's interesting to me is like when I think about, all right, the frustrations we had at the beginning of the season, losing some of those games in the horrific manner we did. And I'm like, all right, what's the difference between the team that I saw on Sunday And that team, right? Because it's largely the same guys. Um, But when you're good in situational football, so like third down, red zone, and then two minute, like those type of situations, which it's not as much about talent. It's just about experience and being comfortable in those big moments. And then you get takeaways. Like those are the two things that are different about this team right now. But we feel so much better about this team because they're getting some takeaways and they're playing well and they're playing comfortable and confident in situational football. And all of a sudden we're like, this is a really good team. Like, If the version of the team that we saw on Sunday against the Commanders would have been there all season long, there's no reason we wouldn't have won 12 games. Because statistically, it's kind of the same. Like, If you look at the statistics from the game, it's not like there was any one thing that just – jumped off the sheet to you i mean they had 146 yards rushing which is about where their average is we had 155 yards passing i mean if brissette had 155 yards passing in the game we'd be asking for more but Deshaun does it and it's how he looks in those critical moments we're going yeah this is the type of team we can beat we can beat anybody like this and then the defense gets a couple turnovers like it's just amazing the perspective how it changes when you're good at getting some takeaways and you're good in those situations (laughs)
2: And the sad thing is, is all we really needed to do was switch one result. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. and we oh. everything happened that needed to happen for the Cleveland Browns to make the playoffs at nine and eight. One everything. Yeah, and we just needed one of them. Jets game, Chargers make a field ago. goal. Saints two weeks ago, Falcons. Mm-hmm. Just you win two of those, you control your own destiny. Correct. Yeah, it's that's so the bitter. That's the bitter pill. That's the bitter pill.
1: All right, uh, we'll hand out some game balls, take a look at the big picture around the league coming up next. You're listening to the Joe Thomas Hour of Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland.
5: From the Commander 33 with a play-action fake. Watch it up in the pocket. Looking. Cooper's wide open. Caught it. Ten. He's at the five. He cuts to the pylon touchdown Amari Cooper, his second of the day, and Watson's third touchdown pass, 33 yards.
0: Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland.
1: OBM, the official printer partner, of your The Browns. will you depend on the Browns when you can always depend on OBM. They'll tackle any size office. The number theres four eight five two thousand 216-485-2000 or visit ohiobusinessmachines.com. Let's hand out some game balls. Uh, Hoff, who gets your offensive game ball from the win over the commies?
6: i got to give it to Deshaun Watson. It was his best performance in a Browns uniform to date. We saw glimmers of fantastic play in the third quarter. Um, and I thought his decision-making was as good – as he's had thus far, which it seemed like he was making the right decisions, but it was taking him a while to get there previously. But in this game, those decisions were happening quick. And it seems like he's got that feel of the game back. And when your quarterback's playing football like that, it, you almost feel invincible as an offense. And I think he's got that type of it that attitude, that performance on the field that elevates the play of everybody around him, and that's what you're looking for with a Tier 1 quarterback, and that's why you go through what the Browns went through to bring that type of a player
1: here. He's like a 70% passer in his career. It was 50%, but it was just because of the way it looked in the second half. We're like, yeah, thankfully, this is right it. it. Just wait until he's where he was. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give my game
2: ball to Amari Cooper. Because it was a great throw from Deshaun Watson on that third and five, yeah. But Cooper gets out of one tackle and it was a touchdown. It almost felt like that was the sigh of relief that we just broke through, and then that got everything going. So Amari over hundred yards with a touchdown, his two scores tied big play Gare from two thousand fifteen for most go. receiving touchdowns by a Brown. That was the last time somebody had nine. The last time it was a receiver was Gordon in thirteen. So Amari Cooper, what a trade
1: that has been, by the way. Theft, theft. <laughs> And they want him. They're like, we need another receiver down there. Yeah, you had one. You game away. Yeah. Uh, Z, I'll come to you on this one. Who gets your
2: defensive game ball? I mean, it's easy. I'll give it to Grant Delpit. Goes over 100 tackles in this game. Two interceptions in this game. And, and I was talking with DB coach Jeff Howard and grant has just progressed so much in space and early in the season on his cover twos he was widening too much because he was worried he couldn't get to the sideline wasn't trusting his speed they said look just stay on your landmarks because then you can get those deep balls down the middle he gets a pick on that and then uh they knew the post was coming at some point that's where they take their shots and he was all over that post and that was an unbelievable job to track that ball to catch that ball He's had, I think he's really become one of the better safeties in the league and certainly great against the run. And when you see him improve in coverage like that, you get very excited. This is really only second full season, by the way.
1: Yeah. And, and kind of playing a little bit, make out of position in terms of what yeah. he wants to do. And he's, he's come on big time Hoff, Who do you got? Who gets your game ball defensively?
6: So for me, it would be easy to give miles Garrett the game ball. I thought he bounced back nicely after being benched to start the game the week before for violation of team rules. He bounced back this week, eight tackles, sack and a half, couple quarterback hits, TFL. He went back to the normal uh, disruptive player that he is, but I want to give it to Taven Bryan. Um, He was a guy that got drafted in Jacksonville a few years ago, very high in the first round and never really panned out, came here. And we haven't really noticed him very much, but I thought he stood out pretty well in this game. He had four tackles and a half a sack, one with uh, Miles Garrett, but... I thought he did a really nice job holding the point on double teams. I thought he did a good job being where he was supposed to, to free up linebackers, uh, to be able to go out and make plays. In having a linebacker core that's depleted the way the Browns are, it puts even more pressure on your defensive line to be able to absorb some of those blocks and keep those offensive linemen from getting to the second level. And I thought Brian did a great job. Um, so more of that would be awesome. And I don't know what his contract situation is moving into the future, but certainly defensive line is probably the biggest area of need for us this offseason, and if he can continue to play at the level that he played on Sunday, he can find a role for himself on the team next year.
1: All right, let's let's uh, let's wrap up quickly here with the uh, the AFC North and where we stand heading into Week 18. The Bengals uh, still nebulous in terms of where they're going to end up. The Ravens at 10-6. and six. The Steelers are eight and eight. It's unreal. I did not have it. I thought they would finally. This would be it. Rebuilding year. Somehow they're eight and eight, Joe. You hate it. Uh, but what satisfaction would it give to eliminate them in the regular season finale on Sunday?
6: That's exactly why the NFL puts these rivalry matchups in week week eighteen because for Browns fans, that's all we got left to play for is to spoil the new year for a bunch of squealers fans and their players. Um, and for me, I would take great joy in it, right? I, I think that the surprise to me was the evolution of Kenny Pickett. You don't expect a rookie quarterback to play as well as he has. Now, to be fair, uh, he's been up and down all season. Mm-hmm. But overall, he's shown some great moxie in key points in the game. I think he's st- stood in there tough. He's given his team a chance to win on multiple occasions. And you couple that with a defense that you knew was going to be good. And they're squeaking out some close games down the stretch. But um, it would just be really sweet for us to knock them out of the playoffs. But not only beating them, but like beating them decisively the last game of the season, having Deshaun play great, I think would be huge for us to build momentum and positivity into the offseason as we look to start kind of recruiting free agents and try to sell it to those guys, to sell it to the fans that the team that we got coming back as a championship caliber team—just look what we did the last week of the season.
2: What would it mean, and does or does it mean anything? But this is the first opportunity for the Browns to sweep the Steelers
1: since 1988. We right. could finish four and two in the division. About 30 seconds, off, but also a, a potentially the first losing record under Tomlin ever, which is wild. Yeah, I but think that would.
2: Yeah, and then sweeping on. Pittsburgh, 1988. I mean, come Amazing. on,
6: that's crazy. Yeah, it certainly would mean a lot to me, to you guys, to Browns fans, <laughs> because we've got that historic hatred of the Steelers, and we know how painful it's been, and how much they've had our number for all those years. Um, and so I, that'd be pretty cool. Like I, I have tremendous respect for Mike Tomlin, tremendous respect for John Harbaugh. did we lose the hawk? Anguish on their face every once in a while. I've seen too much joy. I'm tired of that. I I can't wait to watch Mike Tomlin walking off that field with a sub-500 record for the first
2: time in his career.
1: Hopefully it happens. Great talking to you. Happy New Year to you and the family.
2: Yes. Last day to say it, according to Larry David on Kerber. He'd be right. He'd be
1: right. January 3rd, that's it.
6: (laughs) Yes, sir. Happy New Year, guys. Thanks for having me
1: on. We'll talk to you next week. That is Joe Thomas with the Joe Thomas Right hour. down the North Dakota farm. We need to re, need, we, we revisit the whole that. hour on that. We need to that's revisit that. There's a lot that. to sort out. i got to know yep. what he's dry land farming. Is he doing, doing running cows? What's going on out yep. there? Uh, you're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland.
0: Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland.
1: Buying or selling home with Howard Hanna Real Estate Services. is Always a winning strategy. If you plan to make a move this season, they're going to have you covered. At Howard Hanna, every day it's game day. Visit HowardHanna.com slash today for more. Much more on all of this uh, tomorrow as we uh, will turn the page a little bit here. Uh, but our thoughts and prayers continue to be at Mar Hamlin. And um, thank you for listening, everybody. The next level is coming up next. We're back tomorrow. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by Bally Bet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland.
0: You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and 850 ESPN Cleveland.